We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Esports Biz Show. I'm your host, Justin Jacobson. This week's guest is Ruben Caputo. We'll be discussing college esports. Just as a disclaimer, nothing here is intended as legal advice as all of the information is for educational purposes only. Ruben is an information technology consultant and the esports general manager and academic advisor for California State University Domingo Hills Esports Program. In this role, he handles all the matters related to the university's esports certificate program, as well as handles recruiting and player scouting for the school's esports team. The university currently has competitive League of Legends, Overwatch, Super Smash, Rocket League, and Valorant rosters. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Justin. Thank you uh, for uh, inviting me into the show. I'm happy to be here. My pleasure. So, you know, to briefly introduce the topic we're exploring college esports in addition to youth and high school esports college esports has been growing strong there's currently over 200 colleges in north america that actively recruit and offer scholarships for esports and a variety of gaming titles some schools offer undergraduate or even graduate classes some offer certifications and degrees in the field and university of oklahoma even created their own shoutcaster academic development program so similar to you know, football and basketball, there's been a competitive college esports circuit similar to 
the other traditional sports that exist in college where different schools compete against each other in a variety of leagues and tournaments for scholarships, prizes, and prize money. Some of these leagues include the NAC, the National Association of Collegiate Esports. They have over 170 member schools playing against each other in a bunch of different games, including Overwatch, Rocket League, and Fortnite. Other big leagues include TESPA and the Collegiate Star League. Um, also, one of the largest college esports scene is the College League of Legends, which is you know, ran by the developer Riot Games, and it has over 350 teams competing in North America. So in addition to a big growing esports scene in the U.S., there are many other countries across the con- across the world that are growing their own esports programs, including in Brazil, France, Spain, England, Ireland, and Germany. So now we know a bit more about college esports. Tell us a bit about your esports and gaming experience. Yeah, I'm happy to do so. Um, so, gosh, a little bit about how I got started in esports is um, I, I've been somebody that has appreciated and loved gaming for Gosh, all of my life, really. Um, my early experiences, I can date back of the um, NES days. So uh, that's, you know, putting myself in, in some kind of time machine there. And um, yeah, I, I essentially felt like gaming helped me tremendously um, encounter a lot of the rigors in, in, in academia, which I was a type of kid that didn't like to read. Um, I was just um, someone that, struggled in reading and in English was my second language uh, that I was learning. Didn't get much help at home, but of course, uh, somebody that loved to play games was very highly in competitive uh, spaces. Um, I love to play as much as, you know, um, as much as I can get my hands to. And so that was always my, my Christmas wish list, if you will, or birthday wish list uh, is to get any kind of game. And uh, I played a lot of RPG games and there was a lot of um, reading to be done if you wanted to learn where to go next and, and equip yourself with the best, um, you know, armor and, and finding the best treasures and whatnot. And uh, it slowly but surely I started to just, uh, you know, engage with the context and started to read uh, in a more accelerated level. Uh, so much so that I carried that over into my writing uh, in school. And um, and teachers would always be taken back. They, they would always ask me, like, who's teaching you how to read at home? Uh, they've gone through my parent-teacher conferences, and they knew that I wasn't really getting much uh, mentor support at home. And I explained to them it was video games. Um, and they didn't know what RPG meant. They didn't know some of these game titles I was sharing with them. And... And so they were really confused and right, dumb. Like thing. Final Fantasy taught me how to read. Yeah, yeah. Final Fantasy. If I, you know, this was uh, the two games I remember playing as a kid so much, um, getting to a point where I, I, after I beat it, I reset it and played again was Final Fantasy 2 and 3. Um, the, um, the American versions, right? There's, there's different titles to, to it uh, in the Japanese version, but. Um, yeah, th- those were major games, major factors, along with like Chrono, uh, Cross, Chrono Triggers, and and um, uh, Legend of Mana, and all these other RPG games that really um, helped guide my reading progress, if you will. And uh, yeah, being able to use in the right context was a very big deal, not just make it feel like it's just fantasy, right? Um, 
And uh, having said all that, just to fast forward, um, so I essentially always knew and gravitated towards what it was that uh, video games had this power to unlock um, more curiosity, more exploration um, spaces, and, and especially the critical thinking pieces that come along with it. And um, I work for the College of Education. I work for the uh, IT academic division. And I'd been studying esports for uh, a little over two years. And I wanted to learn how we can incorporate that into um, academic practices that we can essentially establish and to see how this would look like within our campus and in turn use our model to help other schools to start their esports ecosystems. And uh, yeah. So before we kind of get into that, first, I just want to say that is amazing that, you know, <laughs> video games were essentially, you know, the great language barrier that helped you, you know, accelerate to now where you're, I wouldn't even have known that that was an issue. Like you're teaching and you're like, we've had conversations for, you know, several hours now. And I had no idea that it was even a thing. And the fact that something like that is an educational tool. And I never even thought about that where it's like, yeah, I have to read the story and what the elf tells me and what I have to do to be this guy. And then I got to go out and read the internet book or the guide. You know, I used to have to go to GameStop to figure out how to beat Zelda Ocarina of Time and all these things. So it's like you were oh, eager yeah. to read because it was something you were interested in and you wanted to. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That that was so, you know, paramount for me. Um, it was, you know, I, I didn't get always the luxury to get the newest games. So I would just you know, play the games I had. But I really wanted to play the games that would give me the longest amount of gameplay. Right. And I would, you know, reach out to friends and it kind of helped me even make new friends, too, uh, through this whole process. It's like, hey. Uh, do you play this game? And yeah, I do. Okay. Do you want to trade? <laughs> do you want to, <laughs> you know, you borrow my game, I borrow yours, and then we can talk about it and see where we get stuck on the next day when we come back to school. Uh, this is like before cell phones was a big deal, <laughs> you know? So yeah. And the, the, the reading and the writing, right. It's like, uh, you know, um, I, I remember this Justin so well, so vividly. I was in third grade and uh, the teacher, I'll never forget this. She, she was the type of teacher that if you had to share something in the classroom, um, you would have to like raise your hand and then you would have to stand you know, out of your desk and address the class. That's tough. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I thought it was odd. Um, even in third grade, I was like, what is going on? But here we go. You know, it's the teacher's rules. So, you know, we follow. And, you know, I got called in the middle of it and she asked me, you know, uh, Ruben, did you write this paper? And I was confused. I was, you know, very embarrassed too. I remember feeling like just what, what do you mean? Like if I wrote this paper, of course, who would write this paper other than me? And she put me in the spot and I just thought, what do you mean? And she said, um, did you write it? And I said, yes. And I said to her, uh, you know, what's the problem? And she said, um, I just want to know who helped you. I said, no one. And no one helped me. And, and she knew my, my, my mom, my, my, my family didn't necessarily have essentially the, 
the time to essentially help me out. And, and, and again, English wasn't their primary language. So it really depended on the school system to, to really, you know, provide the services that was needed so that I can grow. And, you know, immediately she asked me, can you please use the words that you have written here in a sentence? And I just went ahead in front of the class said, I am muddled and petrified that you're asking me to prove to you that I wrote that story. <laughs> and so immediately she gets the red pen, right? And she grades it right on the spot and then hands it over to me and it says A+. And those are some of the key words that I use was muddled and petrified because those were actual spells, if you will, from Final Fantasy. <laughs> right. And they're just such a nice high word like muddled. <laughs> yeah. Muddled and petrified. Apparently, we're not third grade words or vocabulary words that was being taught in the class. And I thought, well, uh, I guess that's a good thing, right? That I'm. I'm learning, right? And and that's when I got essentially interviewed by her and her teacher assistant to learn more about what what it was I was doing to help me because reading books wasn't my thing. It was hard. And so what came out of that talk was to read more different type of genre of books. Mm-hmm. You know, since I told her, hey, this is what an RPG game is. And so, oh, this is fantasy. Okay, so let's put you into maybe the science fiction world. Exactly. Like Goosebumps. Yeah. Get all up on the Goosebumps. Goosebumps. Yeah, Goosebumps was big. Absolutely. So I was a Goosebumps kid. And, and if I could, you know, was the type of kid that if you got a book from the Scholastic Book Order, you know, you're feeling pretty special that day. So um, anywho, but that was a big you know, notion of, I know games can help people. And I was thinking, well, I can't be the only one, right? Like there's mm-hmm. gotta be other kids out there that, you know, struggle or have the same kind of circumstance. And, you know, it's just th- this whole method of a game, right? Uh, you want to brag, you want to talk about it. It helps you build relationships with people you would have never talked to if you didn't have that in common. And And even if you didn't own the console, it was just a matter of, um, go to a friend's house to play. You got it. You got it. And that was pre-Twitch era, right? That was the way to mm-hmm. do it. Is to go, hey, after school, especially on a Friday like today, um, <laughs> can, can I get? I mean, head over to your house and and you know have popcorn or pizza or whatever it is, um, and watch you play this game. You know, I don't have uh, a Nintendo sixty four, so. I'd love to watch Mario 64 uh, be played and, and show me all the moves and, and tell me a little bit about, you know, h- how you actually beat this level and, and, and talk about it. And then get a chance to play, of course, too, uh-huh. which would be, you know, icing on the cake. So, uh, yeah, so, so that's a little bit about my background. But the, the whole esports aspects of it is something that I knew, okay, if that was my personal journey and story with these sort of individual games, right? Um, before a lot of these games met the online um, or internet era, uh, especially now with stronger connections and more abilities that we have now, which we didn't have back then, uh, I'm sure there's something special, right? Th- this whole community aspect, I don't think just disappears. Um, we were able to do that prior. Uh, I think it only expands. And so 
uh, that's really where a lot of my research started um, and, and exploring it um, in the early phases. Now that football is back in full swing, you might not be at a game this year, but you can still be on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all your great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word bet online your online sportsbook experts and 2020 has reshaped how we work businesses across the globe are trying to be more efficient than ever so when every hire is critical indeed is here to help indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other site helping you find quality candidates quickly Indeed also gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring, and you only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria. You can contact them the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 73% of online job seekers in the U.S. visit Indeed each month, which is why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. And now, let's get back to the podcast. So fast forward today, tell us a little bit about, you know, the school's program, the esports program. How did it start? What were some of the reasons you started it there? Yeah. Um, so, um, so I've been researching for about two years. Um, our org um, has just turned three years old, which is awesome. Um, very happy and proud of the students for it. Um, so needless to say, uh, I, I was not the founder of it. Um, I got a chance to meet the founder of the Esports Association, um, and it started with just two people um, that just wanted to play games and didn't necessarily want to go home after their last class because they knew they had another class to attend to. So they needed to kill time, uh, really. And so um, that was a way to build community, and in that uh, led to more people piquing their interest to actually just interact and play and then get to a space where, hey, let's create uh, more um, casual matches and tournaments and let's start making it more competitive where we can start um, raffling out prizes or give prizes to the winners. And it got to a point where the the students were were essentially creating fire hazards in the common area space because there were so many uh, we were we weren't able to be housed <laughs> let's just say that and um I, I essentially was in that space already i was um essentially trying to understand it more but more from the research side of things trying to think okay this is great you know this phenomena this cul- culminating experience of Everybody comes into the space and some of them come in just wanting to watch and spectate. And you always get asked that question when you're pursuing research, especially with others that perhaps don't understand it or don't come from that generation. They'll say, Ruben, I don't get how people like to watch other people play video games. 
And that's where essentially I wanted to address um, those types of questions and any kind of stigmas too that were attached to that. Um, and so th that's where really my research started to dig a little bit deeper um, in trying to show what it is that was already out there and also what it is that our community was presenting. And um, I, I share that because Dominguez Hills is a very um, diverse campus. Um, just to give you a little bit of a stat line, uh, we serve a little over 17,000 students, and that's combining undergrad and graduate. Um, we are 90% uh, of our student body is composed of people of color. Um, that makes us uh, the highest in all CSUs, and there's 23 of us in total. Um, and 70% of that are female. And so that, that's a big number uh, compared to other campuses as well. And I mentioned those stat lines only because uh, if we're trying to identify what makes schools unique, it's always referring back to who you serve, right? Um, who you serve is what makes you unique. Um, essentially, if we're not putting the attention to who we serve, then, um, then I, I'm really curious to know what that direction looks like, right? Um, because that, that's really how the, you know, every school should operate. It's the students are always in the middle, right? Or they're being met in the apex with all the other supporting pieces. And um, about a year ago, uh, sorry, I'm going to fast forward a little bit, but um, about a year ago, uh, I had a chance to attend a future forum that we were hosting at Riot um, uh, Studios. And so we went to the actual facility and essentially I got a chance to walk, um, you know, Riot Studios and, and get a chance to talk to the people there. Everyone was super great, super nice. And I was just, you know, studying the walls, looking at the pictures, looking at the banners and looking at the panel. And again, I'm a major researcher and I always take my notepad with me and I'm always taking notes. And so it gets to the point where you know, I'm really trying to find how can we connect the dots here? How can we be of service in a way to help the industry grow? And I just go up there and I asked uh, the panel and I just said, hey, um, I noticed in a lot of your pictures here and uh, I, I just, I see a lack of diversity and I see a lack of inclusion. Um, and what is it that Riot's doing about that? And I get a cookie cutter response. And basically that told me that th there's a problem, right? There, there is an opportunity in a way that what Dominguez Hills is about can actually offer, right? And so I thought to myself, well, I only asked that question because of who we are, right? Who we serve, what makes us unique? And that is where I think a lot of the rumbling started to happen, where more organizations started to see um, essentially what it is that we're trying to accomplish, uh, which is um, the esports industry, if they're needing this or they're lacking this, uh, well, it's looking at campuses like ourselves. It's not to say we're the only ones, um, but 
we serve a high, um, you know, diverse group and mentioning earlier that we are one of the highest in the inclusion aspect of who we serve and the female gender, uh, there is a lack of that in the esports industry. And so that's where I started to think, okay, we need it. We need to actually show industry leading practices so that the industry can start gravitating towards us. Um, and yeah, that, that was a big, uh, piece and eye opening experience, uh, a good one. Um, and this is no, you know, bash on anybody. It's essentially what my research was about. It's to see how is it that we can help essentially, um, what's lacking right now in the industry and really bring that into the fold because as somebody that understands and appreciates gaming and, and gaming has given me, you know, some gifts here. Um, I, I see it as something as if I can pursue this, uh, with the support of the community, then, uh, that would be great to essentially tether and hopefully, um, help inform the industry moving forward. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's a really important point that you bring up. So tell us a little about the esports certification program. You know, what it, what is it? What kind of benefits does it provide? Yeah. Yeah. So in the middle of all that, um, I wanted to essentially build something that would, again, help establish um, other schools to start thinking about esports programming and esports clubs and associations. So I had a chance to um, work with another um, colleague of mine who is a professor and specializes in special education. And uh, we essentially uh, co-developed uh, the very first intro to eSports uh, certificate program um, to be offered uh, at Cal State Dominguez Hills. And we did do our pilot launching this past summer. That was the whole intention. Um, but again, nobody could have predicted COVID. Um, that was a major factor too, to how we ended up presenting this. But uh, the goal of, of, of that certificate was to essentially help uh, teacher leaders and administrators to learn about esports at a baseline level knowledge and essentially understand really the benefits and why esports is good in academia. And in turn, not necessarily putting them in a position where they have to know everything. Uh, it's hard to know everything and, and to give teachers extra work already from the work that they're already doing, um, you know, there's got to be a, a, you know, a, a sweet spot of balance there. Uh, what we wanted to do is empower them and understand that uh, whatever resources that you get now doesn't just go away, uh, that you have a resource in your alumna, uh, being Dominguez Hills, once you're a student, you complete you're an alumni, right? And there's a saying that we have, uh, once a Toro, always a Toro. And we believe that if you need to, you know, look back for inspiration or you need to seek guidance, that you come back to your higher ed institution, right? Uh, at least that's how it should be in some aspects. And um, essentially, we wanted to uh, help those in the acad uh, academia world to understand that uh, there's a lot of social emotional components to it. There's a lot of uh, 
team aspects that essentially presents agencies that increases a lot of morale when school culture is down. And that is everything for a leader in the K through 12. Um, you know, uh, if you're in the K through 12, uh, you know, uh, realm that if you're going to be somebody that's going to promote higher test scores and somebody that's going to promote people and, and empower them, uh, you really have to start with like building a strong culture. Um, you really have to start there. And then there's other aspects to it, of course, like building relationship, managing resources, things of that nature. But the, the, the culture is, is almost everything, right? It's, it's really, again, going back to the roots of identifying who you serve. Um, and so uh, what we learned and noticed is that uh, many schools, especially since we have big partners with uh, LAUSD, which is the second largest school district in the nation, um, they serve um, you know, low economic uh, families and students. And they're dealing with a lot of issues that are, are, are very difficult to, to just define in one way, but essentially they have, um, you know, huge disadvantages, uh, huge areas where the digital divide is very real. Uh, and how do you get them to a space to adopt some of these technology practices and be able to uh, shepherd them and guide them through that process? So we created something that was really catered to that um, to help teachers understand, hey, there's going to be that moment that you're, you don't have that ideal situation where you have a big budget to spend and you just want to purchase you know, you know, gaming laptops or desktops and have a space to build out an actual arena. Um, we're going to show you how to do this with tools that you currently have because that's your reality. And it was very practical. It was a good way to essentially promote a lot of uh, new learning since many of the teachers now um, don't fully understand uh, what esports is. And so that gave us the opportunity to show that and in turn, really make it their own. Uh, and, and the goal of that was to create the communities so that way essentially they're building ecosystems and meeting the, the students in the middle and all of this and putting them as the innovators and the pioneers and, uh, and creating that, you know, sense of self-worth and agency because you had a lot of students in, in those areas that are not necessarily active in the athletic world or active in the, um, you know, other the talent aspects. Singing, the other social stuff. Right, right, right. Like instruments, like playing an instrument. Or anything like that. So then what happens to that, you know, middle of the crowd, which is over 50% typically in a school, uh, they, they kind of get lost in the shuffle and they don't have much to do, quote unquote. Um, so how do you gauge them to actually participate in a space and in turn creating that safe space beforehand? So that way students all feel like they all have an equal access to get in and at the same time know that when they're playing, they're also being celebrated by their teachers, by their principals, by staff members and other school classmates. And uh, yeah, that, that's really what it is in a nutshell. <laughs> um, you know, I know that was a little long-winded, but um, our goal is to essentially establish what an esports program looks like, how it would be built, 
and very practical ways. And how do you actually get to that space where you're, you're pursuing that next level of, of career technical skills and production that, that really makes esports uh, esports. So that the program is just for teachers, right? Like current teachers. Right. It was with the intention with uh, teacher leaders, those who wanted to be um, in that position to essentially open up esports programs and enrichment courses at their school sites and also learn and, and understand what it is to actually start an esports club. Do you have any classes at your school that are for, you know, undergrad or graduate, or is it just the program? Uh, so it's just the program, but we are doing something slightly differently uh, for undergrad and grad. Um, so that is to serve our community um, to essentially help them start their esports ecosystems, right? The, the undergrad and grad um, is to utilize the resources that we currently have in place. Uh, and I'll give you an example. So uh, we work with the Career Center. And this is a resource that all CSUs have. And it is, part, it is free for students um, to utilize. Uh, and, and I would say to students that are listening, um, this is, let's say, part of your tuition, what you pay for. All right. So essentially utilize that career center. Um, you know, it's there for a reason and it's free to you, but it is something that gets factored in um, as you pay um, to go to school. Uh, and so we, we use that as a way to help students understand what it is that they're learning currently in their concentration, see what it is that they like slash love to do. And find those dots to correlate and say, okay, how would you want or how would you envision yourself that is studying, let's say, psychology and being able to take it into the esports industry? And so we help and we support and we search and we find out based off what other members of the industry are doing to look into the health and wellness side of esports. This is just an example. Um, and so that's where we essentially look into more of the internship uh, component uh, of it. That, that's how we explore those steps with our undergrad and graduate. So it's, sort, it's resources like that, like the Career Center, that are very... Uh, you know, cutting edge in the sense of they know where, you know, uh, they get a sense where the economy is going next, right? Where, what industry is booming? What is it that's out there that can be implemented? Uh, what's highly needed and find those, what is it that's high interest for students, et cetera, and see what it is that they can utilize based off the degrees and concentrations that they're learning and tied into the industry. Um, and with that, a program like ourselves, like an association, um, it's, it's also a lot of training and development. Uh, it's not just a matter of a place where we hub together and we just play games. Yes, that's one aspect of it, but uh, we do have, you know, the casual aspects. But even within our casuals, we have people that are working on projects like, hey, I'm going to be doing a production. Can you please support our channel? Can, you, can we please air this in our channel? 
this is for the benefit of another org or a an association that we're helping out or I'm, I'm doing an internship project with another school and i'd like to help out um this is what it looks like can you please review it and we have little sm small networks of teams that reviews it uh, very much like a study group if you will and again it's allowing students to um, understand and partake different roles in esports um, and, and that's, you know, a big factor, at least 50% of it is really your production crew. Because uh, without it, we won't be able to watch anybody playing, right? And so um, that's really where we take a lot of the undergrad and graduate students within our college. And we kind of push them into that field um, based experience. And so um, as much as possible. Um, and so that's what that looks like in, in, in a nutshell. So I know you mentioned a few benefits. So what are a few more, some of the unique benefits that a university might get from having, you know, an esports program in some form at their school? Yeah. Um, you know, the fact that esports has the ability to, first of all, I, I, I've, since, you know, we're, we're doing this and, and still in the midst of COVID, showing that it's COVID resistant, right? It, it's still nonstop going. Uh, because we have the internet <laughs> yeah we have the internet you know for those who have great means to it i mean we do have it and, and and we're able to still connect and despite you know covid we still are forced to work on teams and, and esports does such a good job in exemplifying that and for schools to start adopting esports programs again you, you do create the sense of agency that students highly need in that, in that social emotional learning component is so key um how students feel you know how students connect socially um what it is that they're able to articulate even with their uh you know adults that, that are in their lives and that's something that we share with our students is hey how many of you actually talk to your parents about what you do in esports and have a sort of like a like a huddle session and, and, and hear them out, you know, and see what responses that, that came out of it. And, and we open up with some trans, you know, full transparency and, and, and understand what it is that helps us gain the skills that we all want to get better at a game, which almost every person will say communication is like top three, every esports team will say communication, communication. And I just tell them, look, communication doesn't happen overnight. You know, it does, it's not a turn on a switch or a push of a button. And we essentially tell them, look, it, it's, it's so important to start communicating to the spaces you're in now. You're part of more than one community. And to make that community bigger, sometimes you're, you're, you're inviting another community to see the community that you're a part of. And... Typically, typically, I can't say all, parents will want to celebrate you, right? And cheer on for you. And, you know, they want to wear the colors of the team. They want you to be happy. Like, let's be real. At the yeah. end of the day, most parents are very happy when their kids are happy. You, you got it. You got it, Justin. I mean, it, it's, if we were to take this in traditional sports, you know, for those who did play, let's say, soccer, basketball, football, you know, parents would take their kids to practice, right? And when it's time for game time, they're wearing the colors or some of them will 
I don't know, will go as far as face painting themselves or what have you, you know, uh, or wear, <laughs> you know, those embarrassing shirts, you know, that that as kids, you, you know, you just want to like hide. <laughs> but but, you know, essentially that that piece right there, you know, that is what we want to bring over into the esports realm as much as possible is to build that kind of level of relationship so that that dialogue can happen, right? Because the, the stigma is with many parents is that they, they'll tell me, Ruben, you know, you're, my, my son or daughter is playing video games uh, by themselves and they'll close the door and they're just in isolation. And, you know, I, I don't know what they're into and, and uh, you know, they, they seem very distant, right? And so I'm worried. Well, if they're worried and, and, you know, our students are doing all of that, then I, I then in my mind are thinking, well, why wouldn't we bring our parents in? You know, uh, what is it that we're, we're not happy to, to share, you know, and even talk about that. Um, and for those that are captains, you know, I tell them, you guys have to play a major leadership role. Like, uh, wouldn't you want to share this with your family and say, hey, look, I'm a captain of this team. And we led our team to victory today. This is what it looked like. Oh, really cool. Show me the process. Awesome. I'm happy to show you the process. Here's the process. So I share that because in my mind, the, the, the many benefits for high schoolers, for middle schoolers, I mean, gosh, eventually with elementary kids for different games and aspects, you know, everything has, you know, proper content to each audience. Essentially, that right there is, you know, a big factor to help support any student, right? You know, I, I always think of the model of, of this triangle and it's, you know, you've got your teacher and your parents on each side and in the apex is the student. So what are we doing to help our teachers, right? Our teacher leaders in form of training. What are we doing to impact our parents? who are also there at the home helping the child or the student. And in turn, to be part of the student's life, right? To, to have this balanced, well-supported system. And again, every situation is different, right? Sometimes it's not your direct parent. Um, sometimes it's a step-parent. Sometimes it's, you know, grandma, grandpa. But I kid you not, Justin, and I've shared this with... Um, our students is some of the best conversations I've had is to describe what esports is to my own grandmother. <laughs> uh, and you'll get a kick. I guarantee it. You're, you're going to have a blast in that conversation. And so uh, I encouraged and some of the students will reach out to me afterwards on a weekend. They'll say, Hey, uh, <laughs> you know, Mr. Caputo, I, I, <laughs> I did talk to my grandma, as you said, and man, I had no idea my grandma was a gamer <laughs> and, and even played with her. It's hilarious, right? I haven't gotten to that point where I've convinced my grandmother to play with me, but um, some students have gotten to that point. I just think, well, there you go. You, you just made a memory there, and now you get to have a talking point when you share when you play this particular game. And th that's really what I see, you know, again, building community um, and something that we already have in front of us that we sometimes overlook. Uh, now we get a closer look at it, right? 
and especially now more than ever. Yeah, I mean, I think I definitely agree with you there. There's definitely this whole social aspect, the community of you know, you're getting in a party with some random people that maybe you've never known, but you play with them every single day, sometime for months or years on end, and it's as close to real friends as the person sitting next to you in sometimes. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm just trying to even remember as I'm sharing this. If I've, yeah, I mean, I, I can tell you I've played with cousins and, and, and you know, siblings, but uh, with parents, gosh, you know, I, I've. Yeah, no, I can't give my dad a video game. I, I don't think that that, I think he's kind of, <laughs> pinball, yeah, they can, they can mess with pinball. I, I was just going to say. in their wheelhouse. <laughs> but, but even for kicks and giggles, imagine, right? And I'm not talking about, you know, maybe the more you know, high level tier games, you know, maybe just some of these, you know, where you don't have to have much training. It's just more reading, if anything, and just more the fact that you get to laugh at each other a little bit, right? And, and for fun banter, um, you know, think about your family game nights. Imagine if, if one of those family game nights was a video game night and um, just crack up, you know what I mean? Just, just, do something light and fun and, and, and say, hey, so you see here, uh, some of that, you know, uh, what do you call it, adrenaline that you're experiencing? Yeah, I get to feel a little bit of that, but I have to control it because I'm the captain of, you know, the Overwatch team. And I have to stay composed and poised and communicate effectively with um, my teammates. Ah, I see. That's where these aha moments happen. Yeah, I see how that soft skill comes into play into a video game format that is team-based. And now you have something there. Now you have parents actually being in your shoes and starting to get it a little bit more. Uh, they may not understand it from the interface, right, that first layer. But when you take them beyond that, then they start seeing, okay, I can see how this promotes, you know, critical thinking and effective leadership and, you know, leadership, like... Right. You got it. So I know you kind of mentioned some of the teams and, you know, the captain. So how do you like recruit players? You know, what is this kind of process like? How does it happen? Gosh, Justin, that's a great question. Um, but I'm going to tell you right now, I am so unorthodox in how I do it. Um, when I talk to others, they're like, Ruben, so what rank are you looking at your players? And, and I'll tell you right now, Justin, I'm just going to be so frank. Um, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care what rank these students are coming in. Um, they can tell me, hey, I'm the top rank. You know, I really don't care. That becomes so secondary in my mind. Uh, really what I'm looking for uh, is somebody that's willing to learn. Um, and essentially, as long as you have that mentality, you're in. It's as simple as that. I'm not excluding anybody. Uh, or turning away anyone. But I think there's this like, you know, innate feeling that, okay, in order for me to join, I have to be at a certain rank in order to be in. If not, I'm off the team. Um, not here. You know what I mean? Our, our goal was to always accept everybody with open arms. Um, and if you're an amateur or just a beginner, great. We want you specifically uh, because we know you will grow. Uh, and that's the whole point. It's to get you, get you in the position where you're connected with a supporting network and then watch you grow, you know, essentially go and grow. Um, 
And so uh, those with different experiences and backgrounds, um, you know, to the effect of, hey, how come I'm not captain immediately because I've got a higher rank? It doesn't always translate. Um, that's great. That's probably something that you got over time. And, and, and we respect it. It's not to knock on anybody's accomplishments. It's that essentially we, we want to grow, you know, students in this process. Uh, you know, everybody has individual goals, um, but we all have common goals that we set precedence in, in the team early on. And so um, our students is who we recruit. Um, we do get transfer students that come in and want to be part of the team and right off the bat in the competitive team. Um, but typically, we take it through a developmental step first. We want to see everybody in development mode first. And then from that, increase into the next level or the next tier. And if there is high enough interest, then it opens up a branch of another team. Um, and we don't call it varsity or junior varsity or anything like that. We actually just we call it in, in different uh, forms just based off chemistry. Um, we feel like anybody is ready to go and it's always, this is something I would say it's very football mentality, but it's always like next man up or next person up. Um, you just always have to be ready. Um, if your number gets called and you need to jump in as a sub and now you're starting, um, always be ready. So, um, that's, that's a good way to keep everybody in tune and understand that no one person is bigger than the whole association. Um, but yeah, <laughs> so that's a little bit about my recruitment. I'm not essentially recruiting people from outside the States or anything like that. Uh, really, we want people to see that we're different and that we cultivate a different type of esports program that still maintains to be very competitive. Um, but we don't do it in a form of, we want to see what's on paper only. Uh, we want to see all aspects of you uh, in development mode and see how we then gradually take you to that next step. Okay, so you're not signing some former pros just to have a stacked Overwatch team? No, not at all. Not at all. Um, so how do you kind of determine which games to compete in? I know that you guys are now in Valorant, which I know is a fairly new one. Yeah, um, so we always ask the students. Um, you know, we're we're not in it to take it away from them, right? You know, it's really the students that are playing the actual game, right? We're, we're trying to meet them in the middle. We're trying to meet them in their space. So the last thing I want to do is evade their space. And um, the interest is key. So we do survey our students. Uh, when we host our general meetings, I, we hear rumblings of what new game everyone's excited about and, and which ones they immediately want to gravitate to. So we try as much as possible, get, get a, you know, a pulse, do a little pulse check, if you will, and see what it is that has a great potential for our students to be in the best positions to be successful in this game. Um, and then we really, you know, we, we call those that want to take lead on it and give them a chance to actually do the um, organization of the actual team structuring and see if there's a community out there. And then we cultivate them and we train them very similar to all the other teams. We do have planned systems in place. Um, so essentially everybody gets 
better. And and for me, uh, you know, I, I love to catch our teams in in scrim matches and in development team development uh, streams. Uh, I can't always do it, but I, I do check on it every now and then, and I do chat with our captains more frequently. And it's to see how everything is running and operating, and I really let them go. Um, you know, anything when it comes to support and help, they know to reach out to me. But um, it's it's really given them that empowerment of everybody has a support system. Um, we all have, you know, captains that we can all tap a shoulder to um, figuratively, right? But um, but yeah, that's how we kind of identify where that next team is going to look like or which team will be formed. Uh, it's It's student voices and interest. Okay, I mean that makes a lot of sense. So, how big can college esports get, and how? Yeah, um, you know, I, you know, the sky's the limit for college esports. I mean, uh, it, it, you could take it in so many directions, but it, it's really again identifying what the needs of the students are. Um, yes, the, the 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 gaming aspect is one level, but also if we took a look at the production side. You know, we're working with a team that just wants to focus on production work. And it's great for them for their resumes and digital portfolios that they're building and their websites. They want to help other schools get off the ground or help other orgs, if you will, um, get off the ground as well or work on projects uh, collaborating with other schools or with other programs. And we see that as, you know, part of that esports ecosystem. And so we want to help them, inform them, uh, provide any of that support. Um, and that to us is still helping grow an avenue that now students have a channel to, um, to utilize and highlight some of these technical skills that they're establishing because they're high level technical skills. Um, and so that right there also allows them to even interject a little bit about what they're doing at their university in turn, hopefully inspiring others to do the same or collaborate in other aspects than uh, the initial project. So it, that's how I see it growing. And, and the neat thing about it all is that uh, it's organic growth, right? It's insulating. It's essentially helping Others start thinking, what are other touch points we can actually do with the resources we do have? Not always constantly looking at the outside, looking at what it is that we missed uh, within, um, within our community and see how we can maximize that. And once we feel like we've maximized it, then we can actually help establish other communities to say, hey, have you guys tried this? Or have you thought of that? And in turn that's where that relationship happens, right? People are starting to help each other out um, from the aspects of trying to see something like esports grow because at the end of the day, we, we're all big fans and we understand too, to see players go out there and compete. We understand the level of planning that it took to get there, the amount of production hours that it took to get there, the amount of coordinating and communication that, led to that one match, you know, that it took to get there. So we all want to see a, a good show, uh, win or loss. We just, we all want to see a good um, production to, uh, to be streamed and, and, and you know, uh, shared uh, around the world. 
Awesome. So what's the future for the university's esports program? You know, where are you taking it? Yeah. Um, so, you know, our main domains are uh, academic research, community engagement, competition, and entertainment. And I, I share it in that order mainly because I feel that if we can do the first two right, the other two will follow um, in line. So it's to continuously work on academic research and community engagement. The other two just simply gravitate if, if the other two are operating right. You know, it's almost like those are four wheels in, a, in an automobile. You know, those are the two main drivers, if you will. And the other ones are the two back seats. And in essence, what I see is us moving into a space where we can keep informing the esports industry and become more industry leading by establishing practices, by giving students the opportunity in a baseline level to learn about esports and do field work while you're in your college. Um, while you're in your college career, right? If while your time in college as a student, you will at least at one point have crossed paths and and have worked with our esports program, one shape, form, or another, to help inform your concentration. Whether you're a nursing major, kinesiology major, you know, communications major, you know, a law student, a business student, an educator there is going to be an option there, an outlet, a, a dot for you to connect that you will get a chance to work with us one way, shape, or form or another and take away some of those practices that our colleges uh, can offer. Um, and so that's, that's how I see us mobilizing ourselves. Um, we have currently six colleges uh, within our campus, you know, so we have, I'll just name them. I just know them off the top of my head here. Uh, Arts and Humanities, Business Administration and Public Policy, Education. We have our Extended and International Education, our National Behavior Sciences, our Health and Human Services and Nursing. We see all of those colleges having something to do with esports. Uh, and that's the beauty of esports is that it, it, it allows you to connect more more dots than one or two or three. It can help all dots, basically. And so that's really where I see the programming going to is to help all of these colleges essentially be able to meet students in the middle through a form and strategy of esports. Awesome. awesome. So, you know, I like to end each episode with my three questions. So, what's your favorite game to watch? Oh, nice. Well, gosh, I got to tell you, lately, it's just been Valorant, um, major on Valorant. I think a lot of it is, you know, the, the, the league that our students are producing right now. I'm so proud of the work that they're all doing, not just Amigas Hill students, but other CSU students. Um, and I get a chance to see the dialogues going back and forth, and I, and I just love it. You know what I mean? It's so cool to see, you know, a, a rivalry school talk to one another in a, such a pleasant way too on top of that and giving each other mad respect. And then when they go out there on the actual space uh, to compete, they are, you know, no mercy rules, right? It's just win all, take all kind of deal. 
and their true competitive nature comes out and then still recover from that loss or, you know, win and still go back to, to working together. So I, I just love seeing that. So Valorant's been my favorite game to watch by far. What's your favorite game to play? Oh, gosh. Well, I'm going to take you, let's see, out of the PC world for a minute. And I got to tell you, I'm a major Legend of Zelda fan. Um, I am a big fan of the, the most recent game, the Breath of the Wild game. Uh, if I have spare time, that's the game of choice that I would like to just sit down and continue to conquer more quests. Um, and I'm excited for, for new releases, too, um, that are up and coming as well. So the last one. So who's your favorite video game character? Um, that's a good question. Gosh, I don't know. If, well, it'll have to be Link then. Uh, All right. That's what I was figuring. Yeah, it'd have to be Link uh, by far. Uh, he's always been my favorite hero and, and champion since I was a kid. Uh, even in front of my desk, I have this little Link little pop-up and uh yeah just love you know the whole the making of the game just appreciate it from you know from cover to cover like what it takes to to build a franchise like that and still be super successful and 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 take it to so many iterations and still captivate you know many many generations at this point and you know even inspiring the new generation to uh to want to play the game so mad respect and my hats are tipped off. So it's got to be Link all the way. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, thanks so much for joining us. This was extremely insightful. So tell everybody where they can find you. Yeah. So if you want to learn more about Cal State Dominguez Hills Esports, um, simply you can search us in all social media sites uh, just at CSUDH Esports. Uh, we also have our website as well. Um, that is esports.csudh.edu. Um, feel free to search us there. If you want to leave a comment, like, follow, subscribe. Uh, we do have our YouTube and our Twitch channels that you can catch us in. Uh, we do stream in our Twitch and we have our schedule up there for the fall. And we do it every semester and uh, every day we're on. Um, at certain hours of the day as we practice and develop and sometimes we stream some of the matches uh, from conference play and tournament play but uh, Justin thank you so much uh, this was awesome pleasure you know thanks for coming on and thanks everybody again for tuning in make sure to follow me on twitter Justin J-E-S-Q check apple podcast for all our past episodes